0: are in the blissful moment of you witnessing my hair dry again. Listen, by now, you're all part of the family, and you truly are. I wanted to say thank you. The podcast got over 10k listens, and I know that's not much in the perspective of, like, podcasts on the charts and those dominating the industry, but it means a lot. So this is a bolus minisode. If you have been wondering what this Minnesota is doing in your feed, that's why it's in there. And boy, do I have a case for you. This is one of those cases that's more of a legend than a case, but it doesn't mean it's not golden, absolute gold of a case. As plenty of people who watch Bailey Sarian's YouTube channel, that might be where you have first heard about Aqua Tofana, and then you whisper it in other people's eyes. But obviously, as I look into the, like, motives and psychology of it, I thought it would be really interesting to discuss and see what you guys think about this case. Like, do you see Julia Tofana as a bad guy, or not so much? So, without further ado, because it's a freaking mini so let's dive into this motherfucker. So first, for you to understand anything about this story, we need to talk about what Aqua tofana was briefly at least and then we'll dive deeper into that later so this was a poison that was first developed in italy in 1630 again the place and the exact times obviously are debated and it was a crucial subject in the trial that took place in rome in 1659 so in short there is aqua tofana there is this poison julia tofana the person that produces it what has she done infamously according to the legend helped out a lot of women get out of their bad marriages by poisoning their husbands and then inheriting their money. So that's in short, but we'll go in depth on it. And even today, a lot of people, maybe that even don't know this case, but are into, like, historical crime, would use the term aquatofana to define slow poisons, the poisons that are not really detectable, but are doing the damage in small doses and a couple of intakes. And during the early 17th century, this badass bitch Julia Tofana made the business by selling these products to a large network of clients. You could truly see this as an MLM, or just as a pyramid scheme, or just as a referral scheme. I love how people are like, no, 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 referral schemes and pyramid schemes are completely different. Like, I understand, but this bitch definitely knew how to refer people but it was all discovered because of a bowl of soup. Listen, I've always suspected bowls of soup. You know who I suspect the most? (laughs) The people at work. This is again one of like 200,000 reasons why you shouldn't go back to the office. It's those people that just eat soup for lunch. But like, consistently. It's not like oh my god I have to detox because <laughs> I have eaten so much. No. They eat soup and like a slice of bread for lunch and you're like, I'm just gonna piss that, be hungry and then be grumpy in my meeting for like the rest of the day. And you're like, what are you doing? So apparently in sixteen thousands in Italy, this woman was feeding her husband soup for dinner. It's a light dinner, cool. It's an option. <laughs> <Listen>. <laughs> But as she was serving him soup, like, she kind of had, like, a bit of a consciousness because, you guessed it, the poison was in the flipping soup. And as the husband was just, like, to intake that soup, she smashed this bowl, like, all over the room and smashed it out of his grasp. And obviously, he was pissed and suspicious because, well, she has never done that before. In one way or another, abusive but people have speculated because this was an abusive husband, he has made her fess up and confessed that the soup was poisoned, and that there was this woman called Julia, who she purchased it from, and this Julia woman was actually in business doing this. So this guy obviously decides to report this to the police, but somebody tipped Julia off, because by this point, there was a huge network going on here. This was more or less of a cult. So obviously somebody tipped her off, And she went into the premises of the church and treated it as her sanctuary – that is, until the church started spreading the rumor. I'm just trying to imagine. There's, there was nothing else to do. Listen, it's sixteen thousands. What else was there for people to do than to freaking spread rumors and be like, no, 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 I saw it. Definitely, definitely. Facts. facts. Like, there's no recording, no CCTV, no nothing. She's like, no, listen. What Julia did, she poisoned the local water supply, so she poisoned the church water supply. Like, imagine, we're trying to protect her, and this is how she betrays us. So quickly, the church was stormed and Julia was arrested. And again, because the questioning methods in 1600s were questionable themselves, she was most probably tortured into fessing up to poisoning and killing 600 men between the years of 1633 and 1651. According to the legend, the conclusion to her story was met by her being executed in Campo de Fiori in Rome in 1659 with her own daughter and three of other helpers. But then they honed on, and additionally, over 40 of her customers were also executed. And the women of upper class, because this spread, like, I'm not even gonna go into details, but there's so many, like, historic articles of how many people, famous people, People in royalty, in different royal families, of, like, French royalty, for example, might have executed their, like, dukes and duchesses, or, like, just other abusive husbands, so it didn't matter, like, what class they belonged to. Julia was truly classless. She had, like... (laughs) Julia had customers in every single class. Those of the upper class were either in prison, or they managed to escape the punishment altogether by insisting that they never knew that the cosmetic, the makeup that they have got, was actually poison. Not just that she was publicly hanged, but this gave me extra Handmaid's Tale vibes because it spread her body to be displayed over the walls of the church that was her sanctuary that basically tried to home her while she was escaping justice. Just, you know, to show everybody. It's like, this is what happens if you're a traitor. And then there are imprints of the Handmaid's Tale. If you have never watched it, I don't know what I recommend it. I got scarred after every single episode. There's so many scenes out of *Handmaid's Tale*. They're just so imprinted into my head, like right there. Say it with me. This was one of them when she passes the Gilead wall. There's another one of a public hanging when they are basically involved into pulling the rope, and I was just like, (laughs) I'm scarred for life. Now, my next line in the script, before we go to actually describe how did this referral scheme work and how did Julia poison everybody, is. I think everything in this story comes to the argument whether you condone J Lo's actions in enough. And no, I was thinking about this in the shower while I was washing this hair family. I was thinking about this. And I was like, no, 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 I was actually mistaken to put this into script because these are two completely different stories. It's different once you take justice into your own hands. It's morally wrong, but it's a bit less morally wrong. Versus when somebody just decides, no, I'm going to try and help out, what, 600 other women to get their justice and get rid of their husbands. Because, again, what is going on through your head? Like, you must have a reason yourself for doing it. Even if you consider, like, I don't know, you're an angel of mercy and you're helping people out, it's still up to those people to like gather their ways. Like it's morally wrong on a completely different level because you're technically like a serial killer of swords. Also there are different motives for like poisoners versus if you are actually angel of mercy and you consider you're actually helping all of these people. Because I think we forget to put things into perspective because when you read something like this and you're like, okay, there was this woman, Julia Tofana, who helped out so many people get out of their abusive marriages. And you're like, wow, she must have been a hero. But then we kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and look into it from, well, why was she doing this? Was she just evil? Was she doing it to feed her own ego? Because at a certain point, maybe her own priorities have changed in this story. So, crimes. Background. the the meat of it why did any of this happen well in 17th century italy women kind of were auctioned i mean i think this is anywhere in 17th century how they treated women to be honest in a lot of countries how they treat them today but women had no financial social power whatsoever themselves as women so they had three options one is to get married second stay single rely on sex work to survive or yeah, sex work, just sex work. And the third one is to become a respected and well off widow, which itself required the first option to get married, because widows. I don't know why in my head right now I'm picturing the, the scene from the movie The Holiday, when he spells out W-I-D-O-W, and I was like... <sighs> but also then Jude Law says, I'm daddy, and I was <laughs> So the the script for the holidays is is different, especially that Cameron Diaz-Jude Law relationship. Then we have our key player, which is Julia Tofana. We don't know much about her background. We know, like, the mother's name. So Julia was born in 620 to the mother Tofania Diamada. And Diamada was actually executed for the murder of her husband. And nobody kind of knows how she murdered her husband, but the legend says it, that the recipe has been passed on from one person to the other. Because that would be logical. And not just that, but Julia herself became a widow. Again, nobody really knows how, but the husband just got sick and then died. So her with her own daughter, Girolama Spara. The names, the 16,000 names, so beautiful. <laughs> moved to Naples and then to Rome. And then the opportunity met the protagonist. And then those two collided And now she just needed to spread the word and spread the business. And luckily for her, Italy at the time was kind of a criminal underworld. So apothecaries work differently. Basically, the one thing I can compare it to, and I always go to freaking Harry Potter, but you know how in Harry Potter they refer to healers? So hey, that's like an actual thing that used to work in history. and A lot of people even today prefer herbal remedies to just taking freaking chemicals into their system. So this wasn't a modern-day medicine. People would be involved into like actually gathering the herbs, compounding them, making these herbal remedies, and then putting them into so, like, such nice packaging. Like, if you were to go to pharmacy today and see the packaging from, like, 16,000, you'd be like, oh my god, I'm buying this over whatever the hell these nose drops are. Like, like, are you mad? Like, look at this. This looks, like, so sexy. It has, like, a freaking Catholic pope on its cap. So now when she moved, with the help of her daughter and a group of reliable women that moved in with her, she kind of gained a reputation as a friend to the troubled women. And a lot of people speculated that, like, Roman priests were actually behind this as well, because, well, A, she kind of ran to the church to hide, but also because who else, like, who else would people... Would troubled women, would women in domestic violence situations go to confess to it and, like, relieve themselves? And then, you know, there was this Roman priest, apparently Father Girolamo, who then would just maybe refer them to Julia and be like, Hey, I heard this woman was, you know, technically a chief pharmacist at the time. He ran this business of the apothecary. Like, she will give you something to, you know, calm the nerves. And then they would go to Julia, and Julia would be like, yo, how about we calm his nerves down?" And we were like, yay! That's how I picture it. Everything has to have a hype in my mind. The true genius that I only probably briefly mentioned is that these poisons were concealed as makeup. And honestly, even today, I'm sorry to say, man, but this would work. You guys just don't know makeup. I mean, I don't know makeup, clearly, look at me. But... You know, at least I kind of know, like, the eyeliner from the mascara or something. (laughs) Do I? Do I really? But, you know, when it comes to all of these, like, cleansers and morning routines and night routines, men still wouldn't know. (laughs) I'm not encouraging this, not giving you any ideas. But it's wild to me that this still might work. So during the Middle Ages, obviously, every freaking season has its own trend. So what's on trend now probably won't be in 20 years. Middle Ages, there was this beauty tonic that was made from leaves and berries of the deadly nightshade. And was used by these Italian women to redden the skin and give them like a blush appearance. And what I found wild when I was reading this, and this was in every fucking single article, was that there was also a beauty tonic that was used to dilate women's pupils because this is the look that was practiced and seen as fashionable at the time. <laughs> Imagine today they're like, "Wow, you are high! Like, let's arrest you because you have dilated pupils." Back then it was like, "No, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful! Look at how..." <laughs> Look at how creepy and intense she looks. But truly, the key ingredient is belladonna. And it's this herb. I had no freaking clue what this was. But it's this deadly nightshade. It's just like a freaking green-ass plant that was super popular at the time. So this was her one key ingredient. Nobody knows the full recipe, of course. So Julia was like, okay, this is a legit business. I need to package this so it easily blends on a woman's nightstand. So it easily just looks like just part of makeup, part of these lotions and perfumes. And the glass bottle itself was labeled Mana of St. Nicholas of Bari. So a lot of the bottles that you will see will just have this freaking priest looking like, you know, he's ready to fucking solve all of your problems and heal your soul. And this was actually a known popular healing oil at the time for blemishes. Apparently people didn't have acne back then. They were like, oh my god, blemishes? No, my skin needs to be just white and pure. Is this everybody's high school or just mine? I had a girl in high school who was obsessed with looking like she is blue blood, like she fucking is some, has some royalty blood and wouldn't go to the sunshine, wouldn't go to the beach and shit. It just she wanted to look pure whole the whole year. I was like, yo, yeah, people need vitamin D, woman. Also, if I was to have a place a bet of who would bleach themselves, it would be that girl. Does every high school have a girl like that or was that just mine? <laughs> And the packaging and the business in itself was genius because if anybody was to question it, she can just point to the rest of the bottles or ointments and drop and be like, what are you on about? Like, it's just one of the makeup things. Because again, every single thing looked very similar. It had, like, those old letterings, it looked, like, all nicely packaged and shit with, like, priests on them. So nobody would suspect this thing that looked inconspicuous next to the rest of it. And this uh, I don't want to say the genius of it ten times during this episode, but there are certain parts where I was like, okay, I gotta give you a kudos, you're so morbid Julia, but I gotta give it to you. You you are you, yeah? You're you, but in 16,000s. Wow, look at you. You put all of those clothes, the undergarments, the overgarments... So many layers of clothing, and you're headed to the apothecary. You're like, Julia, girl, girl, I gotta get rid of this guy. He's abusing me. I gotta get out of this marriage. It's like, listen, say no more, bitch. <laughs> she prescribes you this oil that is gonna get rid of all your blemishes, your skin gonna be like, whoa, crystal clear, like me in front of this freaking light. Just like with every prescription, she gives you guidance. She's like, listen, you give it to him. In four doses. So bit by bit in something liquid, coffee, soup, whichever it is. The first doses is going to induce flu-like symptoms. So he's going to be weak, exhausted, just think like, oh my god, I caught a flu, oh, fuck it, let's lie in bed. Second of a sideline, for men who think like they're fucking dying every time they're sick, just lie in bed they're like, oh my god, this is my last day on earth. You're like, I go through period every fucking month. How dare you? The audacity. Cool. The second step. <laughs> the second dose would cause different symptoms. So it'll kinda of look serious. So they would start to have stomach aches, extreme first, vomiting, they shit, it would kinda of be like stomach virus, it's escalating. Then the third step, they are feeling so bad, they kind of feel like they're on their deathbed. And by that, by feeling they're on their deathbed, obviously they have to get their affairs in order. Meaning they have to sort their will out and leave their wives large amounts of money. And then the wife would administer the fourth doses and he died. <laughs> he he died. And then in my head, I was like, okay, how did she not get caught sooner? Like, no, no, no. But in, in all honesty, like what, 600 women? And they were like living in these small places. Everybody literally lives of gossip. How? Well, partially because... To save their fame, the wives would demand the post-mortem examination. The genius of it. So, result would obviously be nothing, because this couldn't be detected. They couldn't fucking detect any ingredients, anything. Like the, It would just look like somebody got the flu, deteriorated, and died. And obviously, the woman then appeared innocent. It's like, she herself demanded that they examine the husband, demanded that they try to find something. They couldn't. And also that way, if the woman was to get remarried, nobody could slander her, nobody could blame her because, what, she just moved on with her life, she's innocent, she doesn't belong in prison or anything, everybody moves on. For once, guys, for once, we have a story where everybody wins. Well, okay. 600 men, according to this legend, are dead, so does everybody win? They were abusive motherfuckers, don't. Come. Cool. That's basically the story of Julia Tafana. So, what... What motivated this woman? I split it into two different things. So one, I kind of looked into poisoners and why the women poison? Well, why does anybody? But mostly we know it's women who choose poisons over men. And then the second, I looked into mercy killers. I was like, okay, so poisoners. These are male or females that usually tend to avoid physical confrontation and instead rely on verbal or emotional manipulation to get what they want from others. And also convicted poisoners usually tend to feel inadequate and then they overcompensate with that. So they need to feel in control constantly. They have this strong need for control. They have wish fulfillment fantasies. They're very much self-centered and often either spoiled as a child, which could be the case here, or raised in an unhappy home, which again, the mother kind of killed the freaking husband, so, you know. And usually, why do poisoners kill? The Psychology Today article says that it's not much different from other homicides. It's usually either to do with money, so like getting the insurance from somebody, jealousy, removing an obstacle, or revenge. Although it could be sadism, so making somebody suffer, conviction, like political motives, boredom, or ego. In this case, would you say there was... There was a bit of a V for Vendetta kind of thing. So I truly believe at certain points, there was something to do with vengeance, with just feeling the power. And like, there is always that thing when... Probably in her head, Julia at a certain point was like, no, I'm getting off on all of this power. and We kind of need to twist it and turn it, and that's the main difference between, you know, J-Lo's Enough and this story, that it's not just personal. Like, it's not like, okay, no, somebody's abusing me directly. It's, no, I was helpless in another situation, or I'm using and compensating for something in my childhood in order to exert this much control over this many people's lives, and I'm doing it successfully, profiting out of it as well. Or you might see this as her being a mercy killer, and these are those that believe that the victims are suffering or they are beyond help, and this belief also can be delusional. Usually, mercy killers are nurses or somebody that really sees somebody else suffer. Like let's say it's like a child with like an disabilities. Or, like an old person, again, that they are like, no, euthanasia is a thing. Let's help them out. And a lot of times, those beliefs can only be in their head. So, you'll have to let me know which one you believe here. Again, this is all mostly like a legend rather than it being based on solid facts, every single thing. Like, no, this definitely happened 100%. This is not like that time I told you the Luigi longest story. <laughs> Imagine if from then on the podcast just proceeded to tell you fake crime cases as if they were true crime and I actually manipulated all of the images <laughs> Jesus. and have created all of those articles and google searches and all of those people didn't exist before then. Wow, well, yeah imagine the amount of work there are not that many hours in a day okay, another fact before you, you exit this freaking thing because if you know about this story, you know that Mozart. Yes, that that one, the Wolfgang guy. <laughs> the guy, the composer, the little piano man. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> little piano man, he's he's twisting in his grave cursing me and cursing my career right now. Your career. You you have a career. Okay. You call somebody a little piano man. What are you, a little microphone woman? <laughs> of beefing with Mozart in my own head okay so Mozart thought that he was poisoned basically he had a disease like literally every single article says a different thing it's like oh he might have had syphilis he might have had like a different disease anyways he kind of has fallen ill suddenly and then has died soon so he himself said that he thinks he has been poisoned because it just going too rapidly. And also, once they investigated it in the aftermath and they looked at his manuscripts, those revealed large amounts of arsenic. On the manuscript of the Sauberflute in particular and that was the opera that he was working on towards the end of his life narsenic arsenic was the key ingredient of Aqua Tofana and was pretty much undetectable at the time so <laughs> not a spark up conspiracy theories but this is the one that kept repeating itself throughout like literally every single freaking article so what do you think? Julia Tofana hero or a villain what do you think about her? do you think that It's justifiable once an actually abused woman does it and even seeks help. But then once somebody, you know, that she has seeked the help from makes this into a business, into a referral scheme, profits heavily out of it, like if she has done this all out of her goodwill again... What's going on through her head? Even if she wasn't making any money out of it. She's still the effort. Just the effort. It's always the effort that gets me like, why are you not just lying in bed and chilling, bitch? No, she gets up and she's like, I'm gonna poison some motherfuckers today. What do you reckon was going on through her head? She would wake up and have like a huge power trip? I think so. Even if she wasn't to monetize this at all. Still, just having that power, knowing that the women are coming to you for help, must feel some kind of way. What would I know? <laughs> what, like I don't have any skills, which uh, hey happens to be a blessing in disguise in this, this kind of situation. Because imagine, I do you know that I would have a power trip if I was to have a skill and women would come to me and be like, need for me, Maya. I'd like, these women cannot imagine their lives without me. <laughs> Yeah, you should all be lucky that I have no skills. But hey, look at this. My hair is almost dry, and we are have <laughs> reached the other end of another mini-sode. So you know what that means. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For sticking to it since the beginning. For a year. Like, next year, let's kick it. Another 10,000. Okay, that's not like... <laughs> that's not much. Like, let's move on beyond that. I still will have two regular mini this month, and boy, we are going down. Like... Literally down, like, underground. Yes, yeah, spoil it, bitch. Spoil everything. But until then, you enjoy your weekend. And what do you do? You keep making this world a better place. One more thing at a time. Bye, fuckers. Who oh, fuckers. Oh, little fuckers. Little fuckers. Okay. <laughs>